Hello and welcome to the Get French Football News preview show with me, Lewis McParlin. In this podcast, we'll be taking a look forwards to some of the games set to take place in Liga over the course of the coming weekend. But come on, let's not ignore the elephant in the room that is the current champions of France, Paris Saint-Germain's qualification for the semi-finals of this year's Champions League. They did it by edging out Bayern Munich on Tuesday via the away goals rule, despite losing on the night due to Eric Maxim Chupamoting's first half nerve-jangling goal. It was an epic night for the Capital Club as they made it to the last four for the second time in two years. Last season, they made it to the final and this year, they'll be looking to make it one better. Tonight, I have Eric Devin, Thomas Wiseman and resident Parisian Philip Bars Yale. Philip... Another Champions League semi-final. How good does that feel? Doing it against the current champions, no less. Uh, yeah, it felt uh, very surprising at first, um, and then just completely, completely ecstatic. Uh, not conceding any goals and being so in the second half, of course, and being uh, quite confident throughout. That felt good. It didn't feel like Barcelona at all. So uh, yeah, can't complain about that. It's pretty cool. <laughs> You've said in the past about other matches you've seen PSG in that uh, you're often sat behind the couch not looking at the actual TV because you're so nervous about, about these games. You said it there. Was it was it a similar situation here or was it a bit more, more, of a, more of a calm one even though it was at home against Bayern Munich? Actually, I've got a couple of friends who uh, stopped watching the game at halftime. They just uh, did something else. Uh, they went for a walk or something. Um, but uh, to me, uh, on Tuesday evening, it felt more like uh, it was a bit less stressful than in the first leg. I saw. I thought uh, the, I thought the the composure was, uh, was was good. I thought the first half went very well. It was probably one of the best first one of the best halves we've played in Europe. Period. Uh, just just couldn't score. Neymar hitting the woodwork twice, and uh, then. Who else but Trooper Moutinho to score? It's, you know, it's not, it's not as a, it's not Bayern was like scoring the first leg, had to score in the second leg, and it was completely undeserved. I mean, Bayern had the possession. It was, uh, I think, it was uh, 55 45 in the first half. Um, but chances, yeah, loads, loads of chances. And Neuer was uh, was having a great, great game. Um, I said at halftime, you know, I just can't see him continuing at all. And I thought, come on, Bayern are going to step it up. They're just going to, they're just going to, uh, to, 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 they can't, they can't just uh, stay, stay like they are. But you know, they did. Uh, even when uh, Michel Baquer uh, replaced uh, Diallo, still, I mean, still some very, very poor decision making uh, by uh, Sani and Coman I was uh, very critical of the, of the pair of them actually of Muller as well even though he's caught in the first, his first leg um, and that did not really change when you see Sani in the in stoppage time where he has a chance to uh, uh, to pull it back to I think it's Musiala uh, but he chooses to uh, to do a cross even though he is almost in, in the penalty area to the other side of the of the goal mouth to uh, to Coman who's not who's not really well placed I mean it it infuriated a lot of uh, a lot of fans and that was that was it really that was it but great I mean it was it was it, it it's what really needs needs to be said is um there was no fear there was no there was not leave fear that uh, could be 
palpable against uh, Barcelona in the in the first half of the of the second leg. I mean that's that's a whole that's a whole point. Um, and there was not the fear of the six one. There was not the fear of uh, Manchester United when they won three one. I mean it was different. It was just different. And uh, there there were a few uh, behind behind the couch moments. But honestly, I was I was really expecting worse. And, mm. and I think a lot of people were. It, it, we're going to come on a little bit later about Neymar, how he performed in this game, because that's a that's a whole podcast in itself but if you look at the game there were chances missed you know PSG didn't have as much of the ball as Bayern did really in in both legs they they didn't have as much of the possession but especially in the first leg they had that real killer instinct about them whereas Bayern Munich really didn't you know even in the first leg Bayern Munich missed a lot of chances and like you said Leroy Sani had some poor decision making later on in the game which really killed Bayern Munich and Eric Devin, Mauricio Pochettino the, the PSG uh, hierarchy, the, the board members, they must be looking at this PSG team and thinking okay we're starting to finally get a bit of a more of a, a killer instinct, I know they didn't score in this game so that seems a bit dumb to say but a lot of times you've seen PSG go into big games and kind of fluff their line to not create much. You know, you look at the 6-1 Remontada and there was missed chances there, whereas this time round, in this Champions League campaign, it seems like PSG are starting to kind of create a bit more and really have a bit more of a killer instinct. You know, Neymar was quite unlucky several times hitting the woodwork and whatnot, but that must be a, 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 a good thing to see from a PSG side of things, Eric Finn, that they are really starting to kind of get themselves involved in these big games and not go missing like they have in other years. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think that there's a lot of credit to be to be taken uh, to several players um, who I think really performed over the odds. I mean, Colin Dogba, I think, really really stands out for the work that he did. Uh, Idrissa Gay, unbelievable match. You know, I think he's a player who has had it who looked really brilliant when he first came to PSG, but has sort of had his ups and downs, uh, has been, you know, perhaps fighting for his place at times, um, especially under um, under Pochettino, but I think it really is is making himself one of the first first choice names on the team sheet. Uh, decent match from Paredes as well. So yeah, I, I think to do to do all this, and Pereira himself, you know, in defense, I think was was fine as well to do all to do all this you know without Marquinhos who is you know who is you know I, I think you know as much as we like to praise Marco Verratti I think Marquinhos really is the heart and soul of this team especially defensively when you need to keep you know a, a team that's still a pretty lethal attack even without um, Robert Lewandowski at bay and to do again to do this without Marquinhos is really really impressive so I think it is um, a really impressive holistic performance and I, I think that you know, I still do have some reservations about um, the ability of, of this team going forward. Um, I think that they've been stymied at times in a way that they perhaps shouldn't have been. I'm thinking about that performance against Lille, for example. Um, but I, I do think that, that by and large, Pochettino is perhaps starting to show signs of getting things right, um, even as he had sort of, even as he's, you know, looked questionable at times. I think that by and large, save that, save that second leg against Barcelona, that the PSG are looking more and more like the team to beat in the Champions League. As we've seen, obviously, that Manchester City, pardon me, are vulnerable. And I think the same can be said for um, uh, Chelsea and uh, Real Madrid as well. I, I think that, you know, if Marquinhos is back fit and fighting for the, for the first leg, um, 
you know, uh, PSG have as good a chance as anybody is to win this competition, and that's, uh, you know, uh, that's the, that's the club's aim, and um, that a lot of credit goes uh, to those players for those individual performances, but also for, um, you know, for Pochettino, you know, for sort of riding the wave at a time when it was very much needs must. Eric, is that something that you would say about Pochettino, which has been maybe one of the bigger changes since he's come to the club? I mean, you can look at some of the other managers in recent years at Paris, and yeah, they've done fantastic domestically. Unai Emery, Thomas Tuchel, et al. You know, they've won lots of, of Coupe de France's and Coupe de la Ligue's and, and leagues, of course. And maybe Pochettino, in the short time he's been at the club, hasn't done as well in the domestic matches, but in the big European fixtures, the, the games that PSG, since the investment, have really started to build themselves on and build themselves for he's impressed in them the PSG have done very well in these bigger games and it, it, Eric it's rare that I hear Philip not talking about a European match with a bit of fear in his voice he seemed quite confident so Eric you'd have to say that that confidence in these bigger matches has probably been one of the biggest traits that Pochettino has brought to the capital so far yeah absolutely I mean he's let's be honest he has been aided by the fact that Neymar is fit that's not something that's not a luxury that his predecessors have had in the in the sharp end of the Champions League, um, you know, except for the final eight in Lisbon. Um, so let's not discount that. But I, I you know, if we if we think back to the struggles that this team have had at at this stage, um, you know, in the recent past, the, the teams have been flawed in the way they've been constructed, or or they've had you know some of their best players unavailable. But I think that you know, even with the absences that he has, I mean, this this team looks sharp. This team look 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 well up for it, and I, I think that. Um, I don't want to say they have a quiet confidence about them, but I, I do think that they, the team, you know, sees things in a positive light. And, you know, with, with the increasingly loud rumors that both Mbappe and Neymar will extend their contracts, um, you know, uh, the union of those two players on the pitch and Pochettino on the touchline uh, is really looking, you know, more promising by the week. Mm. And, and let's... Like, <laughs> I mean, you, you can look at this PSG team and the PSG results in the Champions League and obviously they've beat two extremely reputable teams recently, Eric, to get to this point. They've beat Barcelona, obviously, one of the most historic European clubs, especially in recent times, and Bayern Munich as well, the current holders. But this is a Barcelona team in flux and this is a Bayern Munich team without their best striker of the last 10 years. So are PSG maybe kidding themselves just a little bit? Do they need to kind of keep their head screwed on a little bit going into this next match against Manchester Manchester City? One we're going to come on to in a small bit, but PSG, uh, Bayern didn't have Lewandowski and that's going to have to be something that PSG have to keep in mind because going up against City in, in, in a few weeks' time, they will be coming up against, presumably, a lot of firepower should City not have any major injury issues. I mean, ifs and buts, right? You could say the same thing. Oh, they only had to beat Atalanta and, and uh, you know, a very callow uh, Leipzig team last year. And then, um, you know, and then what do you have? It, it's, um, yeah, I mean, what can you say about that? It's, 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 it's luck is a part of the Champions League. And I think that there's nothing, there's no shame in acknowledging that, right? So, you know, build from there. You can only beat what's in front of you. And, um, you know, if, you know, if PSG take home this, this trophy, there's no, there's no, no going to be, sorry, there's going to be nobody in 10 years who's going to say, oh yeah, but this and that and this and that. I mean, it's, they're going to say, you know, 
they're the first French team to win a Champions League title since Marseille. And that'll be the end of it. <laughs> um, let's start to look at some of the individuals then in this match. And Thomas Wiseman, two guys that really seem to be enjoying themselves out there were Neymar and Mbappe. Some of the interplay in the first half especially was fantastic. Chances being made for each other, some offside. I remember there being one that wasn't actually offside and Mbappe wasn't really allowed to run on to. But some of that interplay was fantastic, which brings me to... Neymar in this game there was a there was an entire debate online about whether or not he had a good or a bad game because he created loads of chances for himself but he didn't score any of them Thomas Wiseman where where do you find yourself on that uh, divide which side do you think Neymar had a great game because he created loads of chances and looked fantastic or did he have a poor game because he didn't actually put any in the way when he's a 200 million euro player playing in the Champions League for Paris Saint-Germain yeah, probably somewhere in the middle, uh, maybe towards good. I mean, he did miss some of PSG's biggest chances, and he, he didn't convert them. Um, he hit the bar and the post, and the one he hit the bar with was a ph- phenomenal piece of piece of skill and, and, and technique. But he was just so dangerous whenever he got on the ball, and he, in Bayern Munich, cut him down plenty of times, and and um, you know he was really on on form, and it's. We've not obviously seen him at this stage in the in the Champions League very often because of you know injuries and whatnot in the past. But um, he was you know he showed again why why he is one of the best players in the world. Scoring or not, Thomas, he did really try to take the game by the scruff of the neck, didn't he? Yeah. He was asking for the ball all the time and always trying to create yeah. things. He definitely you can say one thing: he definitely wasn't passive in this match. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and sometimes in, in previous games, you know, in the Champions League, perhaps he sort of. He has a has a lull during the during the game, and he and he did a little bit here, but it wasn't as it wasn't as prevalent as as you would see previously, and and um, you know he really was super super dangerous, and he and everything he does, you know the the flicks and the tricks, he just makes it look like he's just you know <laughs> in the in the park doing it just as a joke, <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, he's a huge asset for for Paris. Philip Bargiel, as a fan, how did you see Neymar's performance in this one? What was the sense in the PSG circles? Was it was it a great game from the Brazilian or a poor one because he really didn't get himself on the score sheet and hit the post a few times? No, it was a fine performance. I mean, it's been uh, it's been saluted by uh, most uh, most of the most of the PSG fans I know, most of most of the people who uh, who are on podcasts who I listen to. Um, because uh, he wasn't uh, he wasn't Liga Neymar, he was Champions League Neymar. He wasn't uh, uh, crying and yelling and whirling all over the floor each time uh, somebody made a made a foul on him. I mean, uh, he had his uh, he had his big game suit on, uh, and yeah, he he was unlucky with those uh, uh, shots on the woodwork against uh, well in the in the first half, and uh, yeah, he probably. Uh, he, Probably uh, should have uh, tucked away uh, that uh, that pass of Di Maria getting past Lucas Hernandez. Uh, just uh, just a small uh, comment on it. Hernandez. What a what a game for him. And uh, I mean, uh, I don't know about you guys and all. If we're going to talk about this for for France, but uh, that, that, that's a great uh, <laughs> that's a great understudy to have as as a centre back. And that that would be that for for Lucas uh, Lucas Hernandez. Um, but no, he, he had it like I said, his Champions League suit on. You couldn't really have asked uh, much more. Mbappe was well. I mean, but both of them, they were. I mean, they were psyched for it. They were. They were up for it. 
and uh, they they yeah we didn't score but they they did they did deliver uh it was uh it was a uh, 442 formation uh when we didn't have the ball and uh, Neymar and Mbappe made sure that uh, the the Bayern defense was, was on its toe so i have no complaints about either of them really i mean uh, it was more of a it was more of a 7 out of 10 performance rather than a, than a 5 or 6 mm. Eric Devin, but going forward into the next match against Manchester City, PSG are going to need to have Neymar a bit more clinical, really scoring the goals. You can hit the post as many times as you want, but he's got to start putting it in the back of the net. You know, it could cost them if he doesn't start to get on that score sheet. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, this team could look very different. I mean, you know, I think Di Maria was excellent too, but again, he's not someone you can necessarily rely on for goals. Um, I think, you know, if Mauro Cardi is fit, I mean, could he be an option as well? I think, um, you know, Moise Kahn can can prosper in a central role. I think it really depends how Pochettino wants to put this team out. Uh, does he look to play, pardon me, does he, does he look to play Verratti again as a 10? Does he, or does he, does he look to put um, Neymar in that in that role with Cardi or, or Kahn leading the line? Um, you know, there, I think there's a lot of questions to, to be answered. That, and, you know, we'll see this. PSG have three matches uh, between now and that, the first leg of that semifinal in, in the Coupe de France and, and two in the league. Um, so, you know, whether Pochettino uses those, those as a sandbox to sort of play around and experiment or whether he approaches them with the utmost, you know, seriousness uh, with a view towards um, winning the title, winning the Coupe de France uh, remains to be seen. But I, I do think that, pardon me, um, I do think that he's got he's got to get those answers right, um, and I you know I don't I don't know I don't think this team needs to look at Neymar as being a source of goals. Um, it's nice if he does score, um, but I think you know as we mentioned you know his ability to keep the ball, his ability to um, you know just be a threat time and again um, is is his importance to the team. Um, you know obviously he is capable of the spectacular, and you know it's it's nice when he does contribute in that way, but it's. It's absolutely not essential that he does that. I mean, that's why they have Kylian Mbappe. That's why they have Mauro Riccardi. That's why they have Moise Kahn. Um, so, you know, he can... He, he, sorry, his importance to the team, I think, is it's fine if it's somewhat mutable, in, in my opinion, um, that he doesn't have to be the same player every time, if that makes sense. Thomas Wiseman, in a number of weeks, PSG will be going up against Manchester City in the semi-final of the Champions League. It's going to be played over two legs, of course, with the first one in Paris, the capital of France, the 28th of April, 8 o'clock. And then a week later, they'll meet again in Manchester on the 4th of May. Manchester City against PSG, Thomas. It's some of the real star-studded matches. How does that tie sound, though, just just straight off the bat? Who do you think will be going into this game a, a bit more confident, PSG or Man City, Thomas? Oh, um, I'm not sure. That's a tricky one, to be honest. Um, I think maybe, perhaps... Uh, no, I'm not going to answer that question, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure, but um, it's got all the makings of a of a brilliant a brilliant clash. You know, Pochettino's gone against Guardiola for for many many seasons at uh, when he was at uh, the Spurs manager, and you know, Manchester City 
well, it'll probably be you know there'll be similar sort of shades of of how Bayern played because I I think that City will will dominate the ball and and try and um, suffocate PSG almost and uh, you, you you know I think Pochettino will will have to make sure that his you know most of the play if not all the players are tracking back and and helping out because PSG will just completely overload them at times mm. on PSG Manchester City sorry. Um, but again, if they have you know Mbappe and Neymar there, they're just so dangerous. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how how City and um, Pep Guardiola try and counter try and counter that. Mm. And Philip Barzil, that's going to be an interesting class actually. So, you know, when you when you get these massive games later on in European fixtures, you you start to look for the minor stories, the 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 side stories in these games. And Mauricio Pochettino coming up against Pep Guardiola, something someone who he faced many times when he was at Tottenham Hotspur, like Thomas said there, and. If my mind doesn't correct me, there was there was a very famous match between Tottenham and Manchester City in the Champions League a wee while back, where it was an extremely dramatic game between the two of them in the quarterfinals, I believe. But Tottenham got the better of Manchester City on that one. Philip Barzil, do you think Mauricio Pochettino and PSG will be able to do the same again over Pep Guardiola? You know that 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 mental battle between two famous managers is going to be a, a tasty one to watch, surely. Yeah, definitely. But this promising promises to be a, a real heartbreak. Uh, so uh, we just knocked out two uh, very uh, possession uh, hungry sides like Barcelona and Bayern Munich, and we're going to play against uh, a side managed by uh, by Guardiola. So uh, they they're going to have most of the ball, and that's fine with us because that's how we uh, we scored loads against. Uh, we scored four at the New Camp and three at the Allianz Allianz Arena. So uh, not a problem. This is why I'm, I'm you know, I'm, I'm quite confident, uh, really, uh, against a side that wants to keep the ball and wants to play, and uh, yeah, who play possession football because we, we've proven uh, that on the counter attack we're probably, uh, yeah, uh, probably one of the most lethal lethal sides in, in Europe with uh, with Mbappe, uh, and uh, well, with Mbappe scoring, Neymar, I do hope. <laughs> Do hope he scores in, in that semi-final. Obviously, I hope everyone scores. But uh, if, if he can score, that's uh, that's fine by me. Uh, but it has the making of a heartbreak because last time around, I think it was 2016-17, uh, uh, we were up against Manchester City for a quarter-final and uh, Manchester City were the Mancini, I think it was, and they weren't doing too well. First leg was 2-2. Uh, Joe Hart played a blinder and I think that was uh, yeah his best best game in his career or something ridiculous like that. And we lost the um, second, leg, second leg 1-0. And, you know, everybody expected uh, expected us, not only in France, but uh, elsewhere, to, to get past Manchester City. And, and with uh, Pochettino's record against Guardiola, it does look, yeah, it, it is looking good. I mean, to, to me on paper, it's looking it's looking very good. So, yeah, uh, I'm, I am confident, but there's, there's every uh, PSG being PSG, there's every chance of uh, not, uh, of uh, a jinx happening. I mean, you can never, you can never rule, uh, rule it out. It depends on... Uh, on uh, the players uh, we have available, I mean, it is so uh, refreshing to to think that we've got two weeks for players like Marquinhos and Verratti to regain match sharpness 
but again, without <laughs> without both of them, we're knocked out to European champions. So you just you can't really predict. I mean, I, I'm with Thomas on that one. I mean, predicting the winner, uh, it's it's extremely it's ex- extremely complicated, and it would be so typical of uh, of Manchester City to go to go through against us. Mm. Eric Devin, a, a final note just on this match before we move on. Uh, PSG against Manchester City. So many people looked at Manchester City at the start of the season and said, even before a ball was kicked, oh yeah, they're they're the greatest team in Europe at the moment. They're playing the, the best football, they're the most dangerous, X, Y and Z. They've got a great manager, great players, and, that, and that's all well and good. But PSG have got a manager that got to a Champions League final a few years ago. Obviously, Guardiola's had his, he's had his, his fair share of success in Europe, but in recent times, PSG got to a Champions League final last year. Pochettino did it the year before with Tottenham Hotspur. How much is that going to come into play in this game, that 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 European prestige, that European calibre? You know, Manchester City are a, are a team that in the last few years have had a bit of a chip on their shoulder with the Champions League in relation to the Champions League. I believe this was the first time they'd got past the quarterfinal um, in, in quite a while, you know, with them winning the other night. How much do you think that's going to come into play, Eric, that idea of, of having a bit of tactical nous, a bit of European nous, a bit of European experience? Well, I mean, both teams, I think, have European experience in, in spades. And I, I, I do think that, um, you know, Guardiola's, I mean, he, he's not won the Champions League since he was at Barcelona. I, I do think that, it, I do think that this tie is, is, you know, it's not going to turn on this, but it's 100% going to be a factor that he, you know, he as a manager is, is fighting against this, not, not a tie, but there's certainly a, a complicating, mitigating factor. Uh, the fact that he has continued to stumble at every turn and sometimes in famous fashion, um, you know, since leaving Barcelona, that and the question being like, you know, even with the the resources he's had at his disposal, both both at you know at Bayern and at City, um, you know, why has he struggled to such an extent? So, I, th- I think, you know, I'm not saying this is a free hit for PSG, but the fact that they have a new manager uh, and that there is this you know weight on Guardiola's shoulders given the resources that have been placed at his disposal um it's not yeah it's not a free hit for PSG but i think that they they can certainly approach this match with more freedom than their opponents which i think will make a huge difference um especially when one does consider the experience you have you know throughout this PSG this side this point you look at Verratti Neymar Di Maria uh Keylor Navas um you know you've got in well in Di Maria and uh, Neymar and and Navas, you've got Champions League winners. Um, I, you know, I don't. Has anybody that plays for City won the Champions League? I can't well, think of anything. My head. Um, uh, I can't think. Off the top of my head, no. Right. So, I, I think the point stands. I mean, there there are players there that have had success. You know, in in, in different in different things. I mean, you know, Kevin De Bruyne was a, a, a you know, got to the. You know, had has had plenty of success with Belgium. Uh, you know, Bernardo Silva's, you know, won the league against the odds with Monaco. But I mean, you know, come on. I, I think that the, the psychological edge it has to be with PSG in this tie, and I think that could be a huge difference for them. Yeah, I think also the is it two weeks? Yeah, 
Yeah. One and a half weeks, probably. Um, you know, the big thing about it for me, at least, is is getting Marco Verratti back and, and getting him fit because he's just so... I mean, even though they, they they beat Bayern without one of them, their most crucial players, especially the way Bayern just completely tried to um, just press the midfield out of existence, pretty much. And Verratti is, you know, one of the best players at at, at getting out of a press. Um, and I think City will will sort of try and try and employ similar similar tactics. So it's it's a big it's a big thing to get some of their players back fit, and they've got. Um, I think they've got a few games. I think both teams have got about three games in between. I think City have got some, maybe a semi-final and a cup final, and PSG have a a cup, a cup, a quarter-final, semi-final. Well, the thing so, is, Thomas, um, not having Verratti, I think, did actually help us because this is probably where we saw uh, Ganagay, uh, mm, so Idrissa true. Gay, playing one of his best best games since that Real Madrid game at the very start of his PSG career. And Danilo was also quite instrumental in replacing Marquinhos. And I'm, I'm not saying that we would have played worse with Virati, but uh, with, with the players at our disposal, I mean, it just uh, it was just a match uh, made made uh, made in heaven. <laughs> um, I'd like to ask to 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 ask the uh, the the, uh, the same question to to. The UK residents. I mean, what's the feel about Manchester City meeting PSG? Are people actually confident or not at all? Because last night's game can't, well, wasn't exactly uh, overwhelming. I, d- I didn't. I didn't. Wasn't that impressed with Manchester City? So, are people, you know, confident that Manchester City will not PSG out or not at all? Uh, I mean, I mean, technically, I live in Manchester, but I, I don't really watch much English football. Um, I have a few few people I work with that support Manchester City, and when I've spoken to them about it, they've they were they're not really as confident because especially after the 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 games they've seen uh, PSG play, they they just see you know Neymar and Mbappe as as such dangerous players, um, so they they are not as confident as I would have thought they might, they might have been actually. Geez, that, that's interesting to hear actually because obviously I'm Scotland so I'd be a bit further out from, from Manchester and England and whatnot. but the, the vibe that I would have got online or have had of, online over the last couple of days since the since the draws were really finalised has been that City would be pretty confident going into these games I think City a lot of fans that I've seen have, have just gone French League easy win even though that wasn't the case for when PSG played teams last season and it wasn't the case when Lyon played teams last season and et cetera, et cetera. But uh, yeah, that, that's kind of been the narrative that I've seen recently. And it's interesting to hear you say that, Thomas. But yeah, I think over here generally, that that's what I've heard, that, that fans are pretty confident that England and, and City and Phil Foden and Bernardo Silva and Ryan Sterling will be able to get through to that to that next match. I've heard a lot of people talking about a, a final including Manchester City. So I'll, I'll say it that way. But yes, it's going to be an incredibly exciting match coming in in a few weeks' time. So do keep it in your diary to 28th of April. That's the first leg. And then a week later, the 4th of May, Manchester City against PSG. PSG, the home team in the first leg and then going away for the second leg. Whoever wins it books themselves a place in the Champions League final. If, if that's not motivation, I don't really know what is. It's going to be an incredible match, a clash of the titans, as people would say, but it really will be. It'll be the game where 
Mbappe can really just book himself into another major piece of silver. He's already got a World Cup under his belt. He's already got league and title under his belt with several different teams, which doesn't happen all the time. So, you know, it's going to be the real, the real apple of his eye going into the next few years of his career is going to be a massive game for all players involved. But let's look at a few of the matches that are set to be played this weekend in France, just to round off this podcast. We've got two games to look at, and we're going to start off with Rams versus Metz. Rams currently sitting in 12th, uh, going to be facing the team from the east of France, Metz, who currently sit in 10th. And this is, this. we're looking this at this match because it's recently come out of news that has broke in France with the manager David Guillon of, of Rams who's going to be potentially leaving at the end of the season. There's been several news stories breaking out from a lot of French publications uh, suggesting that David Guillon has already said to his squad that he'll be leaving at the end of the season despite having another 12 months on his contract, I believe, uh, at the moment. A lot of this news has developed over the last few months. It's kind of been bubbling under the surface with rumours that uh, David Guillon's relationship with the Director General at Rams, Mathieu Lecour, has been souring over the last few months and, and, and it's really been starting to break up the two of them despite so much success uh, at the club in the last few years. Thomas Wiseman, David Guillon has started to make himself a bit of a, a bit of a regular name in the top tiers of French football with his work at Rams. He'd never managed, I believe, at a professional club before this. He only really took charge of Rams uh, in the last few matches of their relegation season, actually a few years ago. I think it would have been 2015, 16, it might be a little bit out with that. But he, he took charge then, despite uh, previously working at the club before, I believe as an assistant manager, took over then, went down to Ligue 2, won the league, got them back up to Ligue 1, and you know the the rest the rest is history. That they've they've done a, a fantastic job on a very a very cheap budget so far. But this is the end of the story for Ramps and David Guillon. Thomas Wiseman, what's your reaction to this news that's been coming out of France recently? Yeah, I mean um, it is. You know, he's done such a good job uh, with with and. and um, I think we were talking about it before the before the pod, and, and you know, Phil mentioned that nobody expected them to come back up um, to Liga, you know, well that that quickly, really. Um, and with a with a manager who who was in, the, I think he was coaching the academy before he before he was promoted to the, the first team coach. And um, you know, it was a great story, and, and they even got to got to play, you know, a few a few games of European football. Um, and they, you know, they're, they're now a, they're not on a great season, but they, they came up and they were, you know, a, a very solid league and team. I think they finished in the in the top half um, and this year and last year, of course. But um, you know, it's been a it's been a, a really good time for Guillaume. He's been there for you know a few, a few seasons, and and Rouse as a as a club are um, very historical, and you know they've got a good a good history. But in terms of finances, you know they they're one of the the clubs quite far far down the division and and when the um Lequipe, uh wages well approximate wages came out um i think it was last last month uh, i just checked it up now and, and rounce's average wage for their players um was about was the lowest about 27000 euros a a a month which is which is pretty uh pretty crazy um so for such low low means they've they've done very very well yeah he's he's had a lot of success on 
with a lot of things going up against him. You know, not a lot of money to play about with. He took over a team that was down in the dumps since getting relegated and took them right back up into the top tier of France. And like you said, Rams are a team with a lot of European history behind them, uh, especially, I believe, in the 60s. They're a very good team that got to Champions League finals and whatnot and, and battled against the likes of Real Madrid and, and other fantastic teams. And, you know, they, they may not be hitting those heights anymore, but David Guillon's really given Rams fans something to celebrate in the years that he's been at the club, hasn't he, Thomas? You know, he he's built a team on a very solid defence, something which doesn't really happen these days. You know, a lot of teams want managers that are going to get lots of goals, have a fantastic attacking line. But since they've come back up to Liga, and Ramps have, have been one of the most impressive teams uh, in, the, in the league for their defence, built on uh, Yunus Abdel Hamid, really, who's a player who... I don't think many thought we're really going to have a, a return to the top of, of, of top-tier football. You know, played at Valenciennes, played at Diogène, but never really hit fantastic heights. But then David Guillon's turned him into one of the most important centre-halves in French football the last few years. It's just been really an incredible story since he has come into the club as manager. Yeah, and, he, and he's, you know, he's, he's been able to develop, you know, good talent that, that Rounce have, have signed and, and developed. You know, we're thinking of um Hassan Kamara um last you know last few seasons he's now at Nice and and Disassi who's with Monaco now who are you know fighting for the for the title um and there's there's already a few others in the squad we think of the um Bull idea the the main striker who came from you know the lower divisions in France and and is now you know one of the better strikers um in the league so it's you know it's it's really been uh, been able to Develop players and and be a a very solid uh, league on league on team. Eric Devin, David Guillon will be leaving Rams with a lot of a lot of really good praise. You know, uh, all I've seen really since the news has broken out is a lot of praise for the work he's done at Rams over the years. So, do you think he's set himself up for a for a good move? The the next club he'll be going to, do you think he'll be taking a bit of a step up? Especially, did, really, in terms of finance, you know, it's hard to take a bit of a step down uh, with the level that Ramps play at in terms of their their finance and their wages. But he must be setting himself up for a good little job in France or elsewhere. How how do you see the next few years of his career going? Well, I, I think first and foremost that he got out. He is getting out. Uh, this does these rumors do prove to be true at the right time. Um, you know, Abdel Hamid's getting on. Uh, Rajkovic and uh, Bouladia have been linked with moves away. Um, uh, as has the, the other winger, Derek Cotessa. Um, it, it's, you know, it, this could be a very, very difficult job um, next season. And I, I think that rather than sully his reputation, uh, scrapping against relegation next season, uh, he is leaving leaving the Champagne Club with his reputation intact um, and, you know, showing what he can do in terms of, you know, beating the odds, as it were. So uh, it's, a, it's a canny move for him. And I, I do think... You know, a step up to a club with a beer contemporary reputation uh, does seem like it makes sense for him. I mean, uh, we, we've, you know, we'll get on to Bordeaux. Um, I think Saint-Étienne are, you know, another quote-unquote sleeping giant that could, that could do with a, a manager that can, that can improve the side. Um, there have been rumblings about Mikel Dersakarian uh, leaving Montpellier. I'm not sure if, I mean, obviously Montpellier are not historically as big of a big, big of Sorry, as big of a club as Rennes, but um, I think you know certainly there's you know given the resources that they put into their team uh, in terms of transfers in recent seasons, they've certainly 
a club that are ambitious. Um, so, um, you know, Strasbourg are another one, you know, great, great fan base. Um, you know, a lot of talented players there. You think about Ludovica Jork, Habib Diallo, um, Matt Sells. Um, so I, I think that, um, yeah, there, there's, there are certainly options there. Um, I, I do think this will be quite the summer of change. And you know, most clubs in France, you know, I think because of the financial situation, they didn't want to shell out in terms of dismissing a coach. But I think that, you know, now that there is a little bit more certainty, given that there is, well, it's sort of a patchwork television contract in place uh, financially, but there is an opportunity for clubs to sort of make the moves that they've been, that they've been sort of holding their breath with this summer. And, you know, we could see, I don't know, perhaps a third of the league's coaches change, change um, this summer. I mean, we, and we talk about, we talked on the show on Monday about the potential for um, Galtier uh, to replace uh, Rudy Garcia at Lyon. Um, you know, again, Gasset, Claude Puel, uh, Akari and Guillaume, Moulin. Um, there's going to be a lot of change this summer in Ligue 1 on a, on a frankly historic level. And I think that um, Guillaume's record with, with Reims, both for improving players, for defensive solidity, which always will give you the time of day in Liga, um, makes him a very favorable candidate, uh, no matter what sort of situation he, he sees him in, himself in. And to look at Rams, how they are going to be left after this situation, Eric, there's been rumours that their next appointment could be Oscar Garcia, who's a manager who has had a bit of time in France. He managed San Etienne in 2017. More recently, he's been at Olympiacos for a while and also Celta Vigo in La Liga. It, but does that... There was a great tweet put out by Katie Stockwell, who does some stuff with, with GFFN, sometimes some articles, sometimes on the podcast. And he was saying that a lot of the appointments that French clubs have made managerially in recent years have been boring. Eric, do you see Oscar Garcia as another boring appointment? I, I, I don't think he's boring. I, I think he, he plays an attractive style of football, but I, I think that... I mean, look, his his style is is predicated on, you know, possession-based football. What, you know, are, are Rance set out to play that well? I think they need a major overhaul in that regard. So, um, you know, no, that that makes zero sense for Rans. Um You know, they're they're not they're a defensively solid team. I mean, you you look at players like, you know, Abdelhamid, Moreto Kasama, Marshall Munetzi. Um, you know, there's strong players there but i mean i know you've got some 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 flair in the terms of players like Berisha or Zanelli but i think by and large this is not a team that's constructed to play um in a way that would make sense for Garcia's style um and do they have the financial means to undergo a major overhaul i don't think so i mean you know selling dia they'll probably get some money um again they can sell Kateza, sell Rykovic. But I think by and large, this team is not going to have the resources to restructure itself in a way that would make sense um, for them to get back up to where they were at their best under Guillaume, qualifying for Europe. I mean, way over the odds. What, what a huge and incredible uh, achievement that is. Uh, so, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I don't see things shaking out that way, unfortunately. I think that uh, I don't think that Garcia would be a wise appointment. Um, I, I do think that, it, you know, again, I, I take Kale's point. Um, but I, I do think that um, perhaps for Rask, given the way this side is, is constructed, that that quote-unquote unimaginative side uh, would make more sense at this current juncture. Or sorry, unimaginative manager, I should say. Okay, cool. 
Um, Thomas Wiseman, just before we finish on this match and move on to a little bit of Bordeaux-Monaco, just to wrap us up, uh, Rams will be coming up against Mets in this one. Mets who have had a little bit of a poor run of form as of late recently. You know, a few weeks we were talking them, talking about them as outside potentials for Europe, if they could get into that last little spot for the next year's UEFA Conference League, the, the position that Lance uh, are currently occupying. They've had four losses in a row, though. Just one goal in that time, really starting to have a bit of a slide. Mets all will obviously be looking to take advantage of the flux at ramps at the moment, but it's been a bit of a, a tough run for them as well. Thomas Wiseman, how do you see this game going between ramps and Mets? Ramps going to be the hosts for this one? Yeah, it, sh- it should be pretty a pretty equal game. Um, I mean, Mets, you know, like you said, have dropped off a little bit, but they have. I think them games were, I think it was one against Lille last week and the two against Monaco in the Cup and the League, so pretty tough opponents to play against. But I think Jez might have mentioned it recently, but you know, this is a a, a really good season for Mets. <laughs> if you look back at their, you know, um quite a while back through their through their history in the past decade or so. Um it's a you know, they've, they've been a yo yo club um for for the early part well, early and last part of this of this um of this decade and and finally, they've you know they've sort of solidified themselves in a in a decent position in the in the league. So I think the I think Jez will be happy with uh, with where they are at the moment. And uh, in terms of this game, it should be hard, quite hardly fought. Um, maybe maybe a draw or something like that. And I just wanted to check. I, I checked the uh, the routes uh, budget, and it turns out they've probably got a a mid table budget, but their salaries for their players are very low. And I think they have a lot of incentives and bonuses for the players as well, which might explain that. Mm, interesting. Uh, so, Thomas, what's your scoreline then for this one? I'm going to go with a one-all draw. I'm going to completely match you on that one. An extremely <laughs> tasty one-one draw. Eric Devin, quickly, what do you think this match will be? Yeah, uh, I one-all sounds good to me too. I, I, I do think I'd like to see more from Mess. It's a shame to see them have got have come so close to Europe, but. Lance looks look they've really sewed up sewed up that fifth place spot. Um, so it's sixth goes into the Europa League playoff round if the Coupe de France winner is not already qualified, and seventh goes into the Conference League. Is that correct? Um, I'll need to double check. So it sounds sounds right. <laughs> sounds right. Um, so you know, Mets have something to play for. Okay, well let's let's you know, Ras don't let's let's give let's give Mets the benefit of the doubt and 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 give them a one 0 win. Then how about that? Sounds good. I, I like you're switching up, Elise. You're switching up from me and Thomas's boring uh, <laughs> expectation. Uh, Philip, quickly, what do you think this game will be between Mets and Rams? Nil nil. Nil nil. I love it. Ex- exciting as ever. Exciting as ever. Uh, <laughs> uh, okay, let's move on to the last game of the podcast, which is going to be Bordeaux uh, against Monaco. Bordeaux, the hosts in this one, currently sitting fifteenth in Liga, and in Monaco really had an impressive few weeks getting themselves into the title conversation with some great football in recent weeks. And we will come on to Nico Kovac's side in just a moment. But let's start with Bordeaux. And I was saying to Thomas just before we started, I didn't realise how much of a poor slide Bordeaux have actually been on in the last few weeks. Obviously, I'd seen that they've been losing, but I didn't realise it was as bad as it actually was. You know, six losses in their last seven games, only picking up three points against Dijon. But let's be honest, who doesn't these days? Uh, 
they've had quite a tough time with their defence. They've been conceding quite a lot of goals, conceded three against Strasbourg, three against Montpellier, two against Mets, two against relegation battling Nîmes, and even four against Saint-Étienne. If you're letting Wabi Kazri get a hat-trick against you, you must be doing something wrong. Philip Bargiel, it's been quite a tough run for Bordeaux on and off the pitch, hasn't it? Yes, it's not uh, well. It's not uh, that uh, that surprising, given you know the state the club the state the club is in. There's been some uh, some decent some decent runs. Uh, end of 2020, beginning of uh, 2021. Maybe the players they don't really feel like they have anything to play for, left to play for a top half finish or whatnot. I'm not quite sure what um, how much money a club gets if it finishes ninth or. 11th or 13th, but it doesn't seem like Bordeaux actually you know, actually care. I mean, they're only six points clear of Nîmes. Um, I would, I mean, I would be very surprised if they were actually to 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 be in a in a relegation one. But I think it's uh, that time of the season where the players know that they that they they're probably not going to go down and they're probably not going to play for Europe. Uh, so um, I'm going to go with lack of motivation on on that one. But let's be honest, that's been the general state of the club for the last 10 years. Yeah, the, there was a recent news article that came out um, talking about the, the owners of Bordeaux, King Street, um, saying that they'd be looking for 100 million euros to sell the club, even though I believe they've got other debts and other other um, commitments in terms of finance, owing up to about 130 million euros at the moment. Philip, are Bordeaux an attractive team to buy or are they one you don't want to touch with a 10-foot barge pole? To me, I mean, it depends on the shareholders uh, and their uh, appetite, shall we say. Ever since they won the title a solid 10 years ago, so it's it's been basically been about uh, making uh, making money the following way: you give youth its chance and you sell as soon as you can, basically. And they were never as uh, they've never been able to build a side with strong managers. I mean, you had Gus Poet, who's a very uh, entertaining, but uh, he was I mean he he got them playing some nice stuff. There was uh, Jean Luc Gasset as well. It wasn't it wasn't too bad. Um, it wasn't. Uh, it wasn't a circus uh, like it sometimes is uh, these days. But uh, a manager, when he sees a decent player like Gaëtan Laborde uh, being sold for peanuts to Montpellier, Montpellier who are not as big a, as big a place or as big a club as, uh, as Bordeaux, uh, he just goes mad and says, you know, what the hell am I doing here? So it's basically as it a shareholder's uh, responsibility to say, okay, we want to build something big here, but we need to invest big, and that's—I mean—they they need to find someone first who will who will uh, buy the club for one hundred million euros, and then uh, at, le- at least spend that type of money every season. And you know, I mean, I wouldn't, uh, but you know, <laughs> that's me. But if they find, uh, you know, if they find owners who are willing to spend and willing to build a football club, then. You know, it could, yeah, it could happen. It could happen. I mean, the foundation there, it's not, it's not a bad ground. I mean, it's not, it's not a great ground, but it's not a bad ground. It's, uh, they've got nice training facilities. I mean, it's, it's a decent place to live in. There's, there's no reason why not, but you, you need to find uh, the guys who will put uh, a lot of money in the club uh, year after year after year. 
and that's yeah that may be tough to find hmm. and they're going up against a, a, a monaco side actually two, one more i want to make a point on something you were saying there about the the ambition and the, and the finances just something i wanted to remind a lot of the listeners of if you look at their latest transfers bordeaux there's not a lot of money getting passed about really they brought in hatim ben arfa but he was a free transfer or free contract, however you want to put it, uh, during October of 2020. They also brought in Jean-Michel Serri from Fulham, but that was a, a loan transfer as well. There hasn't been a lot of, of big cash spent about, which can't really inspire a lot of confidence in the fans at the moment. You know, Bordeaux haven't been the easiest team to support in the last few years. They had a little bit of a stint in Europe a few years ago with Gus Poyet, which I'm sure was a great run, but... Since then, it hasn't been hasn't been sunshine and roses. It's been a bit of a tough watch. Currently setting fifteenth, and you know, Philip, you you were saying that Bordeaux at the moment are a team that aren't going to get relegated and they're not going to finish in the top half. But they're only like you were saying, six points off Neem. I would bank on Neem winning at least two games in these next six matches of the season. Do I see Bordeaux getting lots of wins in the last six matches of the campaign? I don't know. So it could be quite a tricky run for Bordeaux. They have to watch themselves. They could get themselves caught up in a bit of a relegation battle or at least getting caught up in the relegation playoff zone if they're not careful. Careful. But Bordeaux will be going up against a Monaco side who, like I said a bit earlier, have been fantastic this season, especially. There's one thing, Lewis. Uh, they're playing, uh, so they are playing Monaco this weekend. Then they're travelling to Lorient and the next away game is at Nantes. So if they lose both of them, they may be in trouble. But again, I think the players will respond and will say, okay, well, we can't go down with that. I mean, it is a quality squad, I mean, you know. But they are playing uh, directly, uh, I mean, against a side who may go down. And that's, yeah, yeah, that could change things. Mm. Those are going to be the real crunch matches for them between now and and the end of the season. Just have to say... You know, the squad hasn't really put it in the last few weeks. Will they be able to put it in in those matches? Will Jean-Louis Gasset be able to get it out of them for the last few matches? Uh, Monaco have been doing fantastic in the last few weeks. You know, they've not had the the toughest matches. I believe they played Dijon in their last match, but they have been scoring a lot of goals and Niko Kovac has been starting to put together quite a nice little squad. Philip, how does this keep happening? Monaco seem to do this all the time where they have a really awful stint, uh, awful couple of years, and then next year, in the next year, they do fantastic and everything seems great again. You know, ninth last season, 17th the year before, and now they're somehow battling for the title. I, I don't know if that's a good thing as a Monaco fan, uh, but it seems it seems as if they're almost a bit of a yo-yo team, Philip. Their team seems to finish right at the bottom of the table and then find themselves right at, up at the top. How, how do they keep doing this? I listen to a lot of people who uh, are very, uh, uh, shall we say, um, not quite sure about uh, what, uh, how great uh, a manager was uh, was Jardim uh, with uh, the great squad he had when uh, Monaco went to the Champions League semi-finals and, and whatever legacy he he left. But to me, I mean, there's absolutely no doubt in my mind. That, least that uh, Monaco's good season has a lot to do with Niko Kovac and it's got a lot to do with uh, with the quality of the of the of the players which just uh, wasn't uh, that um, I think both these factors weren't uh, united 
last season when they finished uh, ninth, and uh, two seasons ago when they actually almost well, they finished uh, in a in a very poor spot. I mean, I do I, I do believe that if the last season would have gone to terms, we would have had sides like Lyon and Monaco finishing much higher. Um, it's not very. I mean, to to me, to me, it's not very surprising to, to see them. Uh, shall we say in the top four? But I honestly didn't think that they would uh, win win game after game after game every weekend and be in a shoe in for the title. I mean, that's uh, that's a, that that is a surprise. But uh, with that with that squad, yes, there should be there should be top five and you know just four points from the, from Lille. I mean, that could be that could be quite uh, quite a great uh, a great title race. Well, can I just say, Philip, I, I, I don't know how anybody could say Jardim is not a great manager because he had two excellent teams that were, two, that were radically different from each other in the style they played. If we think about that 14-15 team playing on the counter with Anthony Marshall, Tom Lamar, and, um, and uh, Bernardo Silva, I think Silva was the leading scorer that year, um, you know, get it, you know, getting at that terrible penalty call against Juventus away from potentially getting into the Champions League semifinals, beating Arsenal um, 3-1 at the Emirates. Uh, you know, that team was defensive. They were very solid. You think about Jeremy Tulala and Ricardo Carvalho, these types of players. And then you think about the way the, the effervescence and the brilliance and the liveliness that that team played in 2016-2017, just two years later. Uh, you know, for a manager to be able to do that sort of shift, um, you know, to turn on a dime and to have that team not just succeeding Ligue 1, succeeding Europe. I, you know, I, I think to say to say, you know, Jardim at that time, I, you know, how you can say he's anything other than, you know, than brilliant. I, I think really really baffles baffles me. I mean, did he stay a little bit too long and should he not have come back? I think there's certainly a case to be made for that. Yes, but I think the achievements he he made in in his first spell at the club initially. I mean, I. I don't. I don't think that you could praise those enough, given the diversity of of approach that he had and the success he had. Again, both in France and in Europe. It actually baffles me too. Uh, it's when I listen to uh, uh, shall we so-called experts who uh, who say that uh, oh, you know, he had uh, he had the best team, so of course he was going to go find the Champions League and and win the league, win the league, and blah blah blah. And uh, they, those guys are also massive Thierry Henry fans, so that's why I was I was mentioning them. Uh, but it, I mean, it baffles me. It baffles me too. And uh, I, I I reckon that uh, the opinion is less divided about Kovac than it was about Jardim after his second spell. Sorry, say that again. The opinion is less divided about Kovac. Well, no, I mean, certainly, but Kovac also has a shorter body of work to, to consider. I mean, what he's done with Monaco is, you know, even within the season, you know, how loose they were at the back. I mean, they were always potent in terms of their attacking nows, but the way they play now versus the way they were playing even four months ago is unbelievable. I mean, that's that to me is a Jardim-like transformation within the course of a season. I mean, we have to see how the, you know, the thread plays out with Kovac, but I think, you know, this team did not have Champions League as their ambition this season, and for them to be there, thereabouts at this point in the season is is in and of itself an incredible achievement. Yeah, Steph, 
That, that was, I mean, I'm just going to finish this on, on this, Lewis. I mean, that, that, that was my point. I don't know if I, if I, if I made it uh, that clear that everybody is, uh, agrees that Kovac has done a massive job and there were a lot of, uh, uh, shall we say, uh, uh, behind-the-back talks uh, when Jardim came came back. So, you know, the opinions were divided because uh, there were a lot of Thierry Henry fans and stuff like that. But, you know, this time around, I mean, everybody agrees that Kovac is doing a fantastic job. That's what I meant. Yeah, it's it's definitely an interesting debate to be had, you know, and, and I understand the points you're making there, Eric, about Jardim and, and his time at Morocco and then the return and everything. I think definitely if you read a lot of English-speaking media about that time, obviously the Thierry Henry stands are going to be out in force about, <laughs> about that time and really... He's going to get the benefit of the doubt with everything that happened then. It's probably how how Thierry Henry has, has got so many more jobs since, you know, going and playing over in America and all the links to, to jobs in, in England. Canada, not America. Elsewhere. Sorry, I mean, sorry, <laughs> MLS, I mean, stop I kid, it, you. I kid, I kid, I <laughs> um, Jobs in, in Canada and uh, in, the, in the US MLS, or I don't know, I don't know what the terminology is actually over in North America, uh, you Yanks. Um but that's probably the reason why he, he got jobs there and whatnot. Um, it's definitely an interesting debate to be had, though. But if Monaco get the win here and maybe PSG have another bit of a, a, a slip-up like they have done many times in the league this season and Lille have a bit of a slip-up, all things going well, Monaco could be within one point of Lille at the top of the table, which would be and an incredible feat for them this season. So let's get your score predictions for this one. Eric Devin, I'll, st- I'll start with you. How do you see this one going between Bordeaux and Monaco? 2-0 uh, for Monaco. 2-0 for Monaco. Okay, Thomas Wiseman, how about yourself? Uh, 4-1 Monaco. Okay, they have been scoring a lot of goals. So I understand where you're coming from with that. Uh, Philip, how about you? Are you as confident in Le Monégasque to put a few past Le Girondin? Bordeaux's form is so bad that they're actually going to do a two-all draw. <laughs> <laughs> I like your uh, score predictions tonight, Phil. They'll be very good. Nil-nil draw on that one, then two-two. Very That's exciting two draws. Oh, I love them. I love them. <laughs> um, I am going to join Eric and Thomas in that and, and saying that Monaco will win and I do think they'll score a couple goals. Bordeaux have been pretty rank-rotten in the last few weeks and I don't see it changing with with Sam Ben Yedder et al turning up in Bordeaux. So I'm going to say 3-1 to Monaco. Let's go for that one. Um, okay, and that's going to wrap us up. Thank you very much for listening to another podcast from myself and the boys. Uh, if you're looking for more information on all things French football in English, you can catch us on the website at getfootballnewsfrance.com. That's Get footballnewsfrance.com you can also there's actually just a note on that there's a great article that uh, was released a few weeks ago on David Guillon's time at uh, at the club this was before any of the news of him leaving of course but Jeremy Smith interviewed him I believe and there's there's some really great insights between on his time as a manager and his philosophy as a manager so I would recommend giving that a read uh, as he comes towards the end of his time at Ramps uh, that's David Guillaume I mean not Jeremy Smith I don't think Jeremy Smith's ever been to Ramps but anyway um, if you're also looking to find us on Twitter you can get us at GFFN and there's a bit of a competition going on there at the moment 
moment at GFFN um, we've teamed up with uh, Wolfsburg in Germany to give away a shirt with Maxence Lacroix on the back we're a big fan of the, the French defensive uh, player this year he's been playing great in Bundesliga and if you want to get yourself a hand on a Wolfsburg kit with Maxence Lacroix on the back all you need to do is go to GFFN's Twitter page follow GFFN as well as Wolfsburg on Twitter and like and retweet the post and that puts you in the run for a Maxence Lacroix shirt Thomas Wiseman that'd be something that you'd want to win surely a Maxence Lacroix shirt from Wolfsburg you'll you're surely going to be involved in that competition. <laughs> yeah, maybe. I do like this uh, show connection, indeed. Mm. It's a nice, nice kit as well. Nice kit, a little black and green, yeah. little black and yeah, green nice. number. I think that'd look great on you. Um, okay, <laughs> that's going to wrap up the podcast. I have been Lewis McParlin. I've been joined by Philip Bargiel, Thomas Wiseman, and Eric Devin. I have to thank the listeners once more for listening to us ramble on for an hour about French football. It's been a fun one. But once again, thank you very much for listening, and I'll see you in the next one.